Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Epiphany, also known as Three Kings Day, is a Christian feast day which annually falls on January 6th. It is a special date for many Christians, as it's when the faithful celebrate how a bright star in the sky led the Magi, also known as the Three Wise Men, to visit the baby Jesus after he had been born. But how do we separate myth from fact in ancient history? How do we do this when it comes down to one of the most beloved and well-known stories of all time, the Nativity? Let's join Scott Rank of the History Unplugged podcast and find out. Our guest is Father Dwight Longenecker. He is a Catholic priest in Greenville, South Carolina, and he's finished a fascinating new book. What Father Longenecker has done is looked into the three wise men, the story of the Magi that appear in the nativity story of Jesus that you can see in any Christmas pageant in America or the Christian world, songs like We Three Kings of Orient are. Well, Father Longenecker knew that there are a lot of embellishments to the story. The Matthew account never mentions that there are three of them. He just says that they are wise men from the east who see a star and go to Jerusalem and wind up in Bethlehem. There's been a lot of details added to the story over the centuries. Names are given to these three kings, Balthazar, Melchior, and Caspar, who come from Arabia, Africa, and India. But the thing is, the original story never says they come on camels, and there's not a suggestion that a star even leads them to Bethlehem. Furthermore, most biblical scholars would deconstruct the text and say that the three wise men don't even exist. It's just a later embellishment added to the story to give a prophetic coding to Jesus and to announce him as the Messiah. These would be scholars that would use a deconstructionist tradition that would typically throw out the supernatural. Well, what Father Longenecker has done is pretty fascinating. He's decided to look at what could be the historical reality of the Magi. Because they're really dismissed outright by scholars, they never bother to see if there's anything in there. What he's done is look at the history and look at the politics of the area of Judea in the first century and found that there very well could be a place where the so-called Magi could have come from. And it's not Persia. It's not the Orient, as the song goes, but Nabataea. This huge civilization that existed south of Judea and traded all throughout Arabia and the Near East, and these would have been people that would have traded with Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, and also Herod, the king who tried to kill Jesus, and they built all sorts of structures, like in Petra, Jordan, and built this huge structure that you can see in movies like Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. So it gives a whole new different historical perspective to something that a lot of people consider just to be a myth. Hey, Father Longnecker, welcome. Thank you. You said that the Magi, there are nuggets of history in there, but there's all this legend piled on. So how did that perspective frame your approach to the story of the Magi? It's important because actually the legend is the history, which is still being told as history, but it's been embroidered. It's being exaggerated. It's being made real special, but it's still treated as historical thing which took place. By the time it becomes myth, there are more 
supernatural elements being added. The characters are even more distanced from any kind of rootedness in history. And the myth starts almost becoming gods and goddesses, and all sorts of extra levels of meaning are added when you get to the level of myth. Supernatural meaning, spiritual meaning, moral meaning, theological meaning, all this sort of thing is added in and embroidered and laid on top of the basic history. And all of the links with history are very intriguing and fascinating, but of course, there's lots of legend and myth woven into it. And so what the archaeologist does is goes through and says, well, all the legend and myth is beautiful and wonderful and, and rich, but we're going to try to cut through all that and see if we can find what historical route there would be to this story. And that's what I did with the Magi story. What interested you in the story of the Magi originally, and what made you want to investigate their historicity? I do a lot of freelance writing for popular journals and magazines and websites. And around Christmas time, editors are always looking for some kind of a Christmas story. So someone asked me to write a story on where did the Magi come from? So I began looking into it in my article. And the typical pat response is, well, a lot of Bible scholars, first of all, believe that the whole Magi story is a pious fiction. They think that it doesn't have any root in history and that it was a story added on much, much later after the death of Jesus Christ in order to make Jesus that much more special person. Some others believe the pat historical answer would be if the Magi existed, they were Persian astrologers, Persian shamans who saw signs in the night sky and set off to Jerusalem to find this king of the Jews. So I looked a bit further and said, what if actually the Bible itself indicates where they come from? And there's prophecies in the Old Testament book of Isaiah that they came from Saba and Ephah. Well, when you look up these ancient countries, they're actually from Arabia. So I then went and said, well, who was in Arabia at the time of the birth of Christ around 6 BC? And the most predominant inhabitants of Arabia at that time is the Nabataean civilization. And the Nabataean civilization is very amazing how important it was at that time period, but how little is known about it and how little people in this day and age know about it. The main thing they know about the Nabataeans, of course, is the fantastic city in the desert of Jordan called Petra. And that is, was the capital of the Nabataean civilization. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, the discourse in biblical studies where scholars will look at what they interpret to be fictions that are added on later to make the story something it's not. What would a Bible scholar, if they assumed the Magi to be a fiction, why would they think that they're added into the nativity story? Is it because they're from the East, it bestows some sort of prophetic or messianic type of embellish to what would they say about that? 
first of all, there's one school of New Testament scholarship which basically goes through and tries to demythologize the New Testament. Now, this goes right back to German scholars at the turn of the century, people like Rudolf Bultmann, who said for the New Testament to stand up to modern criticism, we have to take out all of these, what he called the mythological elements, the supernatural elements, exorcisms and Jesus walking on the water and calming the storm. And so they came up with this idea that all these mythological elements were added in basically by Greek and Gnostic writers, probably about 80 or 90 years after the death of Jesus or even later. And these were just pious fictions that later writers wove it in because they wanted Jesus to be this son of God figure, this mythological Hercules type figure. It was influenced by paganism. And so they therefore view any kind of supernatural element with suspicion. And therefore, the Magi story with a magical star that leads the wise men across the desert sands and pinpoints the birth of this God child, they would say, no, no, this is added on later. This is make-believe, okay? And so that their motivation for saying that it's mythological. But there's also other things as well. The other strand is if a story seems to fulfill a biblical prophecy, They also have a bias against the idea that there could be such a thing as prophecy which could foretell the future. And so there is a prophecy in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament about the prophet Balaam, and it says a star shall rise in Judah and so forth. And a lot of scholars have seen that prophecy and said, oh, Matthew is obviously making up this, or later writers adding to Matthew's story, this thing about a star that rose to fulfill Balaam's prophecy. And so there are these two strands which mean that modern scholars will tend to view the story with suspicion. I've always viewed their views with suspicion, to tell you the truth, because I've always felt that while the story might have been embroidered in later years, that Matthew's actual account of the Magi is actually very simple. And I therefore said, well, what if it is rooted in history and we can cut through all the levels of legend and myth and find the historical fact? The tradition that we have now of the Three Wise Men, of course, at Christmas pageants where an eight or ten-year-old will put on their big robes. So they come with their three robes bearing gold, myrrh, and frankincense. And this understanding that we see in Christmas pageants, you've written that that's not exactly how it's described in the biblical account. So where did this come from? Where did the Three Wise Men from Orient, we three kings of Orient are? Where does that all come from? What happened was the early Christians, of course, were in Judea. They were in Jerusalem and southern Judea. But soon after the death of Christ, they began to be persecuted by the other Jews. And so they began to leave Jerusalem and southern Judea. That's recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. You might remember the Apostle Paul was actually rounding them up, putting them in jail, and they were being martyred. It got even worse at 70 AD when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. At that point, all the Jews, including the Jewish Christians, were dispersed. And that meant that the center of gravity for the early Christian church by the late first century and early second century moved to the north and to the west. So Christianity started to put down its roots in Syria, Armenia, what is present-day Turkey, Greece, and Italy. Therefore, as Christianity moved to the north and west and the churches were established there, they encountered the religion of Manichaeism. Manichaeism was from a Persian prophet named Mani, who was the son of Jewish parents who had converted to Christianity, but he was also very influenced by Zoroastrianism, the native religion of Persia. And at the same time, there were lots of Gnostic sects which were active in the same area. The Gnosticism was basically like New Age religion today. Lots of fanciful theories about angels and demons and the way the world was created and spirits and so forth. 
And Manichaeism was influenced by that. This is very popular in the area of Persia, Armenia, Turkey, and Syria. And various apocryphal writings in the 2nd and 3rd century came up, which mingled Zoroastrianism, Gnosticism, Christianity, and Jewish esotericism. So what happened was, these Magi from Persia, they became the poster boys for this kind of new religion. This was fantastic to them, that these astrologer, shaman priests from mysterious Persia saw a magical star and traveled through the desert to visit the Christ child. And so there are various what are called infancy narratives, the Syriac in the Arabic infancy narrative and various other apocryphal writings from the second and third century, which took the Magi story and added in an awful lot of the legendary and mythological elements we now attach to it. And so this is where we have by around the fourth or fifth century, the three wise men were being called kings. They were given names. They came from Persia, Africa, India, China, who knows? They, the different writings place them all over the place. And there's about six or seven different versions versions of their names. And all of this came into the Christianity of Turkey, Greece, and southern Italy, and then became part of the medieval tradition, which we still celebrate today. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y using the code 30605.